Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. Right now, God, I just ask that um, any voices of condemnation that are in people's heads, that they would be silenced. Right now, God, I ask that it's your voice that speaks. That while you will use some of my words, that, that you'll take those words and then you will use them in people's hearts and in people's minds. And that um, today we will take territory for your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so, I'm going to start off with a little bit of an apology. That seems like a weird place to start, but um, I, haven't, I haven't actually been able to preach in a little bit. And one, I gave my testimony, was it like three weeks ago? And then Two weeks ago, we had bad weather and we weren't here. And last week, Angel spoke, and that was just great. I was really uplifted by that. And, and because of this time, right, I asked people to give their testimony, so I've, I kind of shifted out of studying for message mode. And I was just sort of studying for Jason mode. And um, Zach Milligan was supposed to give his testimony the week it was so cold. And so when... That didn't happen. I asked him if he wanted the next week. He said, no, I can't the next week because I have to work, so just leave Angel there. I assumed that meant Zach would give his testimony today. So I'm going through the week just oblivious to the world, and I thought Friday, I thought, you know what? I haven't talked to Zach this week. I might reach out and make sure he's ready, so I sent him a text message Friday morning. Notice I said Friday morning, and said, hey, Zach, you got your testimony ready to go? And he's like, dude, I'm not going to be there Sunday. I'm like, Oh, oh, my. I said, how about next week? He said, yeah, I'm not going to be there then either or probably next week. I said, okay, let's just regroup. And so what you're going to get today, I'm not going to jump back in the book of Acts. We will get back there. What you're going to get today is some of the things that I've been just processing in my own mind. I actually have three scripture, two of them that I've really been um, praying about and meditating on in my own life. The first one's going to be in John 12. But I want to talk to you just a little bit before we get there. <clears throat> it's going to be John 12, 24. I've been thinking a lot about church, believe it or not. <clears throat> I know that seems like it should be a frequent thing. But I'm, I've just been thinking about our identity. And, and a lot, I've been talking, thinking about my identity. And so part of the reason I've been doing that is because I look at churches and the vision that I have for the way the church should operate, I don't see. And I know they're there. I know they're out there. I'm not pretending like we're going to do something no one else is doing or has never been done. I just don't see it locally, and I've never attended a church, and so I have no real understanding. And so there's this balance that I try to figure out, right? I try to figure this out. Because as I'm growing into and accepting the role of pastor, I'm not a natural-born leader. I'm more of an independent doer, okay? I work by myself. I work for myself. That works great for my personality. When I played sports, I never saw myself as a leader. Like in football, I'm elected team captain, but I'm really a team captain because I'm a senior and because I work harder than everybody else on the field. Not because I'm the guy encouraging other people or saying, hey, don't do that, don't do this. That's not my natural inclination. And so as we do this, I'm trying to come into this role. So as a pastor, there's a very specific job title, okay? As a pastor of a church, 
for years, I was bent toward evangelism. And, and at the other church I was at, the, some of the leadership kept saying, I can't put my finger on what you are because one minute I think you're this, one minute I think you're that. And so as I'm doing this, I'm trying to adopt this role of pastor. A pastor's job is not necessarily evangelism. Evangelism is part of it. But my job is for you guys to come here and for me to encourage, to challenge, to teach, and then to get you guys to a point when you go out, you can then evangelize, okay? So as I talk about, you know, listening to the Holy Spirit, I want to say there's one thing you never need to wait for the Holy Spirit to tell you to do, and that's to evangelize people, all right? That was Jesus' last thing, was for you to go and make disciples of all nations. So you should just naturally be trying to do that, it shouldn't actually be trying. You should just be do, being who God has created you to be, and it will happen. What you should listen for is the Holy Spirit to say, hey, yeah, this is sort of a, like a dead end, right? This is a wall that you're not like, like right? Pete, Paul saw that where he wanted to go here, and the Holy Spirit showed up and said, no, do not go here. He wanted to go to Asia, I believe. <clears throat> so in saying that, I look at these churches and we see, this church model of people who, in my opinion, are trapped in a sin mentality. And so there are churches that are all hellfire and brimstone, right? They're all doomsday and gloom and all of this stuff. We see that. And then we see this other side, which is all hyper grace and all love and no change and you do you. And, you know, I don't say YOLO because my girls will roll their eyes and, and think I'm cheesy again. So you see these two dichotomies of people. And what I want to do is get us out of this trapped in sin and shame and regret mentality and lead us into the fullness of life that Jesus has offered us. But there is that chance as you do that, you go into that other side where you go too far down this rabbit trail and all of a sudden, people are thinking too much of themselves, and they get themselves out of alignment. And I'll tell you part of the why my mind is here. What is the church I talked to you? Was it Hillsong Church that went through all of this stuff, and they had the pastor in New York that's having an affair on his wife? It's like they've got thousands of people coming, and this pastor's got money and celebrities and, and all of this stuff happening, and he can't, he can't handle it, and so he fails. And I use him because that's something a lot of us have seen, but I read a statistic this week that every year, four to 5,000 pastors are quitting. Many of them are not just quitting being pastors. Many of them are walking away from the church. Many of them are deconstructing their faith and they don't even believe in what they used to. And then that's the four or 5,000 that are quitting. How many of them are having these major falls from grace and then being removed? That's been in my mind because I saw this, this documentary thing and I thought, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. And it's, and it's just the truth. I try to be real and honest with you guys that I am absolutely no better than any of you all. And so what I'm trying to strike is this balance. And I thought this morning, as I was putting this together, I thought that there's this balance between Gideon, 
Because for a long time, I had that Gideon mentality that when God shows up and the people of Israel are being very oppressed by these other nations, and he shows up to Gideon and he says, hey, Gideon, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to pull you out and you're going to lead this army. And Gideon, his words are, I wrote them down. He says, my clan is the weakest. And even in my clan, which is the weakest in our country, I am the least within that clan. And that's where most of us are when we walk into the church. Is we feel weak, we feel worthless, we feel rejected, we have all of these feelings wrapped up inside of us. Like like we can never get there. And then I thought about Moses because there's something that I think about Moses that I don't think a lot of church people necessarily jump on board with. But Moses had some huge victories in his life, right? And I did this one time to, to, to you all, and you all probably won't fall for it again, but I said, who parted the Red Sea? And everybody goes, Moses. And I said, you fail. But that's what everybody said. And so Moses is leading the people, and I don't want you to get me wrong. Moses was leading a lot of nincompoops, all right? A lot of thick-skulled, stiff-necked, hard-headed people. And so you know the story where he's supposed to speak to the rock and the water's supposed to come out and he whacks it with a stick and then God punishes him, right? And God says, now because you did this, you won't go into the promised land. I think in my mind that it's because Moses began to believe the hype about himself. He heard so often that Moses parted the Red Sea, that Moses brought manna down from heaven, that Moses is this, and on top of that, he's talking to God face to face. He's up there talking to God face to face while the nincompoops are down here building a golden calf. And then he comes down and beats that thing into ashes, right? And he thinks, I've done all of this for you and you can't do anything right. And I think he began to believe the hype. And this is the dichotomy that I see that we have to fight against. Is that I can't be this Gideon character who thinks, I'm the weakest clan, and of this I'm the least, although we do have to have somewhat of that mentality, understanding that in and of myself, I can't accomplish anything. However, that's a defeatist mentality, but I also can't get so puffed up and so encouraged by the the victories that we see that I get myself out of alignment, and I think it's me, because when that happens... God's going to bring me back down to earth and I don't want to see that happen. So I wanted to read John 12, 24 to you real quick. Uh, the, the, The headline of this little part in my Bible says, Some Greeks seek Jesus. That's weird. But this is what Jesus says. And Jesus answered, let's see, no, that's not where. Okay, so yeah, I'll just read 23 and 24. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. been thinking about that a lot over the last couple weeks. Is this thought process of death to life. And I've told you all this before. I'll 
If you haven't heard this, I'll say it again, that there was that moment when Desiree and I were asked to start in youth ministry, and she was very for it, and I was very against it, and I read that scripture, that's John 15, 16, where Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Now you go and bear fruit, much fruit that will last. And I took that in that moment as that I was supposed to go and bear fruit in other people's lives. I pointed Ivan because Ivan was in youth group around that time. Adam was. And that for a long time was my mentality that it's my job to go and bear fruit in their lives. It's been actually very recently where God's like, what are you thinking? A pear tree can't just put on a good performance and bear fruit in an apple tree, on an apple tree. The fruit that you bear will be inside of yourself. And as the fruit naturally falls off, what happens? That fruit dies and the seeds are planted and then new, new trees grow, right? This is the way we live our lives. If I don't, if I don't die to myself and understand that I have nothing earthly to offer you guys, only what God can do through me, I get myself out of joint here and I start puffing myself up and building myself up. And there's something that I wrote down here. Um, John 12, 24, it talks about death to life. That's what happened in my life. That's why at first I was so evangelistic in nature is because I just want you guys to get a taste of what I experienced in my life. When I died to myself on my living room couch and I began to live for him, I felt a freedom and a, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a life. It's a life that I can't explain fully. And so I wrote something down here because there's something that I see that's really, really hinders the church. And it's in both sides of Gideon and Moses. It's pride. I'll just let pride sit there for just a second. I'm not pausing because I don't know what to say. I'm pausing because I think pride needs to set marinade for just a minute. Because we can be prideful and still be this guy who thinks we're not enough. Or we can be prideful and think, hey, I'm all of that. Everybody look at me and follow me, right? So there's this dichotomy because there is a big part of me. Listen, the very first thing I said to kids in my whole entire life was this. Somebody's following you in your life whether you realize it or not. You have to decide what direction you're leading them. The whole time in my life when I was playing football and I thought no one was following me, people were following me. I just didn't realize it. As I got a little older and I was influencing my cousins and my friends, they were following me. I just, wasn't, I just didn't accept it and realize it. The same thing is happening. Every single person sitting here right now, someone is following you. You're leading them some direction. What direction are you leading? And I thought of this thing, this, this pride versus humility. We have a choice as the church to either kneel before Jesus or bow before Jesus. And I want to explain real quick the di difference. Kneeling is a choice that I make because I recognize Jesus as my Lord. Bowing is like it's out of my control because now Jesus has revealed himself. So think about the, uh, I'm not sure where it is in the Bible, but it says that in that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. They're not doing it because they love him. They're doing it because now they've seen the full glory of Jesus and they have no opportunity but to kneel down because, oh my goodness, they're going to bow down because, oh my goodness, if I don't... <laughs> 
right? So we have that dichotomy right now in the church. I'm talking to Christians right now. You have that decision to make. You will either kneel intentionally on your own and let Jesus be the Lord of your life, or you're going to live a life of pride and God's going to let you go to a point where He will bow you down. One is much more comfortable than the other, I promise you. This is part of the reason in the church we have to get over pride is because my pride keeps me from confessing my sin one to the other. My pride kept me in my seat in an altar call when I knew God was calling me to go forward. And my pride kept me there because I didn't want those people. My pride kept me from speaking life to a woman in church because I was mad at the leadership of the church and I didn't want them to see me talking to her because I was in a religious battle with the leadership of the church. And if they saw me, my pride kept me in my seat and God was shouting at me, I want you to do this thing. But my pride kept me there. Literally, I'm sitting in a church service with my forearms pressed against my ears trying to shut the voice of God out of my head because he's talking to me so loud. That doesn't happen very often that way, but it happened that day. We will either choose to kneel before him, and if we do that, we are victorious because he is victorious. If we will get out of pride and begin confessing, I'm not telling you right now that you should come up here in front of the entire church and confess all of your sins. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in this body, we need people that we can do that with. When, when, when the altars are open every week and empty every week, that tells me that you guys are riding a high, baby, like there's nothing going on. Is that true for everybody's life? I hope so, but I don't believe it for a second. But I believe there's a little bit of pride there that when that altar call comes, you're looking around and, you're, look, and you're, you're comparing your life to others and you're thinking, well, they have it all figured out and I'm over here a complete wreck and a mess and so I better just sit here and try to look. Listen, appearance is the destruction of your relationship with God. Jesus talked about the whitewashed, empty tombs that's death and that's religion. I got to say this because sometimes I get up here and I just speak boldly and I make you guys, I think I sometimes give off the appearance like, like it's easy. It ain't easy. We're fighting from a place of victory, but we're still fighting in a war. My wife and I went to that last Chiefs home game, coldest game in history, in Arrowhead Stadium. My wife's super proud of that. I said, that's not getting wrote in the history books. Nobody's ever going to know that except me and you and a few other people. Now a few people that are here, but it's not as cool to me. But, but I was super excited. I love the Chiefs. I'm a lifelong Chiefs fan. My wife now is a bigger fan than me, which is weird. I, she's from Florida, like she hates the snow, hates the cold, just gets mad that she lives in a place that makes her face hurt. And, and so when she wanted to go to the game, I thought she was insane. And I, when I tell people, I get like just a few different responses. Either people say, you are crazy, or people say, that's cool, or people say, that's cool, but you're crazy. And so we went to that game, and I mean, I kept trying to talk myself out of it. I, and, but I'm excited about it. I love that game, and we get there a little bit late. 
So we're trying to hustle in. We got way too many clothes on because it's going to be way too cold. And we get in there and we get in our seats and I have a panic attack. Full blown. I can't stand here. I cannot stand right here with all these people shouting and cursing and yelling and, and bumping. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I can't do it. So I leave my wife in that environment because I have to, I can't sit here. So I go up and I walk around the concourse a little bit. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm good. I go back down. She's like, are you all right? I'm like, I'm all right. She says, we can leave because she understands. She's dealt with this. It's like, we're not leaving here. What are you talking about? And I'm down there about three minutes and I cannot stand there anymore. I'm back up. And my wife's down there, I'm sure, cheering in one hand. On the other hand, she's worried about me. She's, you know, like, on the, like let's, let's hope the Chiefs score a touchdown here and I'll be fine going home. I'm telling you what, that lady was a trooper. It was cold out there, and she stood there the whole time. So I'm up there, walk around through halftime. After halftime, I come back down. I get myself calmed down. I'm okay. We finish out the game. Luckily, right at the fourth quarter, a bunch of people left, so I was able to get a little space. I felt a lot better. I tell you that not because I want you to feel sorry for me, not because I want you to, I mean, I hope you do pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not saying don't pray for me. I'm not saying that, but what I'm telling you is I may make it look like it's easy. It's not. I battle stuff just like you. In that moment, I'm battling something that's trying to take my joy and steal this moment where me and my wife, we don't spend a whole lot of time, just the two of us. Here we are in our environment. We're doing what we want to do, and there's something trying to steal my joy. And here's what happens in the church. If I get up here and I say, I'm victorious and I'm this and I'm that, and you're not feeling it, then you go home and you feel shame and you feel condemnation that I should not put on you. I'm telling you, we are in the midst of a battle. There are highs and there are lows. Sometimes we're on these mountaintop... Almost said something I shouldn't have. Like, really high... <laughs> Sorry, sometimes I want to use... <clears throat> things that I shouldn't say in church. Uh, so we're up here just going all out. I'll say that. Going all out. We feel good and our relationship is solid and we got all these friends and we feel like we're marching forward and we're taking territory. And then all of a sudden we wake up one morning and we're down here at the bottom in the valley looking up and thinking, what in the world has happened? And in the religious community that causes shame and condemnation on me because you're not reading the Bible enough. You're not praying enough. You're not focusing on Jesus enough. I want you to look at the Bible and you will see over and over and over again that the people God, that the people that God points out as the people of the faith went through this. Jesus himself is around the crowds and he's like, I got to get away from these knuckleheads for a while. So he slips off by himself. Here's the difference. I think Jesus could see that warning light flashing and so he would preemptively go off by himself and reset where we don't do that. We are victorious, but still at war. We are at war inside of ourselves. We're at war outside of ourselves. We're at war with our flesh. But Jesus has overcome all of these things. We are in a process. I say these things boldly and passionately because I believe them with all of my heart, not because I've seen them come to the fullness of fruition in my life. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to read a little bit in Luke because there's something here I need you guys to see. 
Luke 23, 39 through 43 is what I'm going to read here. One of the criminals who were hanged, let's see, yeah. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Sorry, that blew my page. And, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. And this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I want to point out a couple different things here to you. Jesus' kingdom is an already not yet proposition. And what I mean by that is Jesus came here and lived a life, died a death, and was resurrected. So his kingdom is now here on earth, and yet it has not reached its fulfillment because at some point, maybe sooner than we would care to admit, Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, that's when he will establish his eternal reign where he will then rule. That is when we want to really be careful that we have not knelt to him. <clears throat> and so that's, I want you to understand that right now we can be part of this kingdom. Hopefully if you're here today, you are part of this kingdom. But there's this mentality, see, when Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, we debate all of these things. What does this mean? Does this mean that he went to heaven immediately with Jesus? And then there's this thought process, oh, he went to this other place, blah, 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 blah. I want to take just a second. I used to really not go into words, but the more I've went into what the words mean, the bigger nerd I've become, the more I geek out on this stuff. So this word that is used for paradise, one of the, your understandings, what, so we don't have the Jewish mindset. We have an American mindset of Christianity, which I'm sorry, needs to just be flushed down the toilet. But the Jewish mindset, when you hear words, words take you to scriptures, Jewish people weren't like us. They didn't memorize just verses taken out of context. They, they memorized books of the Bible, okay? That blows my mind. But that word for paradise can also mean garden. So when a Jew hears that word, they will immediately go back to the garden thinking. They will go back to the creation story. They will think about all the way back there. So when we hear paradise, what I want you to hear is that right now here on earth, we can be in this mentality. Yes, yes, heaven is, is a time to come. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there's some time in between if we die between now and then. I can't really fully understand or explain to you what's going to happen in that interim. But what I'm telling you is that right now, right here, we can be in this mentality that here on earth we are part of God's kingdom and that we are part of this garden and that you and I have a position in that garden. Okay, <clears throat> so I wanted to speak to two different mentalities here. When we think about the garden, you think about that the serpent came down and he says to Eve, did God really say, ladies, I want you guys to step up right now and take authority over the thoughts that enter your mind and you have to be biblically minded 
to be able to counteract the lies that the world and the enemy are going to tell you. So when you hear in your voice that you're ugly, you're not worthy, that you're this, that you're that, you have to be able to counter that with truth. There are things that God has said about you that are true in an already not yet mentality. I am not exactly the person God created me to be right now, but I'm a whole lot better than I was 15 years ago. I'm a whole lot better than I was, how long have we been doing this church thing? A little over two years, three years? This is the third year. I am completely different in that time period. Some people might disagree with that. I still say things I shouldn't. So women, I need you all to do that. And here's, here's what I need you to understand. I need you to do that for your men as well. I know the church sort of poo-poos that the women is, you know, and, and that's the biblical order. You're supposed to submit to your husband. But sometimes you also need to tell your husband, hey, you're working too much. Your kids need to see you. Hey, hey, you're doing this wrong. Sometimes, sometimes you're the only person in their life that's seeing them through a clear enough lens to be able to speak that. Men, I need you all to be receptive to that. Because that warning light that flashes that Jesus saw very clearly, sometimes you and I, if you're like me, man, I got a deadline. I got things that I got to get done. And that warning light's flashing and I'm not looking. I'm not sleeping enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not, look, I have things, I love spending time with my family. I love vegging out on the couch sometimes. There's things that I need to do to keep my mentality right. And I know that leading up to the Chiefs game, looking back now, I can see that that warning light had been flashing, that warning light had been flashing. And then I just let these things overcome me where I've walked in and I'm too hot and now my head is cold and I'm hot and it's all these weird things and there's all this negativity and it's just, it just overwhelmed me because I had not been consistent in what did I, oh, I had been complacent. And so men, in, on the other side of that, we have to stop being weak. We have to stop, or I'm going to say, I am not giving you, I'm not giving you the advice to intentionally be offensive, but I am saying we have to stop worrying about offending. Because in the garden, what should have taken place is that God told Adam, hear me, God told Adam, you don't eat this fruit. The devil tempts Eve, Adam is standing right there. And what does he say? Nada. I make the joke that maybe, you know, they had a spat that day and he was like, eh, God, take her down, he'll make me somebody else, maybe more suitable as a helper. <clears throat> <laughs> but the truth is, I think they saw the glory of God and Satan is saying you can be more like him and man, they wanted to sign up for that. But what should have taken place and men, this is what you and I should do is that when that serpent comes into our household and starts whispering those lies, you and I take the authority because they, God told him you are here, you are to reign and rule in this place and Adam should have stomped his head right in and threw him out of that garden instead of setting back and being lazy and complacent and... Say whatever you want. He had the authority and he did not step up and you and I have that authority. If we want 
Listen to me. If we want bullying to stop, we stop it. If I teach my kids their worth and their value and how, how much they're loved, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. If I understand my identity comes through Christ and that God made me in His image, even though most of the time I look more like a knucklehead, if I understand that I am created in His image to be something, I don't care what the world says about me. I don't care what the, I don't care what the people think about me, what they say about me. I don't care. I don't need an image. I don't need a platform because God has called me to be something. And men, that is the position that we've been called to take. That is not to lord it over women. That is to protect the women and the children from the wolves that want to come into the flock, into my flock. I joked with my daughter. She's Maybe in the bathroom right now. So, nope, here she comes. She was at a dance, and I saw a picture of a boy with his hand on her shoulder. And I mean, there was some distance there, but he had his hand on her shoulder. And I said, next time you see that little boy, you tell him if I see another picture like that, he's going to be pulling back a nub because I'm going to cut his arm off. I say this halfway jokingly, but this is spiritually speaking what should be happening. When the devil comes in and tries to tell my kids that they are something that they're not, he's gonna, he may have walked into my house, but he's going to be limping out. Because I am the priest of my home. Men, you are not just the breadwinner. You are the prophet, the priest, and the king of your home. You've been given authority over that place. You are to rule and to reign, and you allow what comes in and what goes out. And that includes, you know, who they're dating, right? <clears throat> and men, sometimes it's up to you and I to counter the lies of the worlds that are being said to our wives and our daughters. It's up to you and I to speak the truth over the noise. And I believe God gave us the, the, the strength and the capacity to do what we did, not so that I can carry a heavier roll of carpet, not so that I can go and make more money, but so that I can bear more spiritually in my home so that I can protect my family to a better degree. So it's time for men to be men, for men to stand up, for men to be bold, and for men to stomp the head of any enemy that rises up in our households or anywhere else. So I want to read one more thing. And I came upon this um, last night. For some reason, we were watching wrestling. How long has it been since we've watched wrestling? We've never watched it in our house. We've lived there for 15 years. For some reason, we watch the Royal Rumble? I don't know. I mean, come on, people. It's, it's fake, but it's like mindless entertainment, and, and I could do a little studying, and I, I, was looking, I was looking for something because I say these things. I want you all to get humility right. Humility doesn't mean that I'm less than anybody else in this room that I have less value or less worth. Humility means that God is everything and I'm this, right? 
Humility doesn't mean I think so much less of myself that I can never accomplish anything because the Bible tells me that all things are possible if I'm with him. And so what I really wanted to do is come here today and tell you that I'm a messed up mess just like you and I've struggled with anxiety and panic attacks and anger issues. Like the last two weeks, I've worked on job sites where there were construction workers there and I've become old and cantankerous. I don't like being around knuckleheads anymore. I'm sorry, I get aggravated by it and it throws off my whole mindset. And that's, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to show you, look, let's put the pride aside. Stop trying to be something. Let's, no, 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 not be something. Let's try to appear to be something that we're not. Let's stop washing the outside of the tomb and leaving the inside the way it was. Okay, so this is in 2 Corinthians 4. And the, the four, starting at four, he talks about, therefore having this, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I'm just going to read all of four. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And I'm going to tell you what right now, I believe wholeheartedly that the enemy has blinded so many people, even in the church. I believe that it... I hate saying things like this. I do, but I feel like I need to say it sometimes. But I believe, you know, we talk about how much Christianity has fallen off in the world. I believe that even of professing Christians, the percentage of true, true Christians in the church is small. And what I mean by that is I believe I'm going to be generous. I believe 80% of the church have, have said Jesus is their Savior because they want to go to heaven. And 20% has actually allowed him to be Lord of their life. And I think I'm being generous. I think it's more like 90-10. But I'll be generous and say I think about 20% of the church are what I would say are true God-fearing Christians that have not just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow my knee as far as punching my ticket to heaven, but I will make no change here on earth. And the churches have realized that and capitalized on it. Make no mistake about that. Most, most pastors will, would, if they had, if they didn't worry about their job or were a little bolder, would say the same thing, but they're worried about offending their people and having their people leave. I don't want any of you to leave. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I treasure each and every one of you, but I long for a church that's made of the 20%. 
Part of that is because I don't want to become one of those four or 5,000 that walks away because I'm burned out. And I definitely don't want to be one of those ones who falls from disgrace because I've tried to take it all on me and I've begun to believe it's all about me. I need the 20% who will push back, who will encourage, who will lift up, who will pray, who will challenge even, even me. I'm not, I'm not above that. <clears throat> For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. That will be the mantra of this church. We are not going to proclaim ourselves. We are going to proclaim that Jesus Christ as Lord, not just as Savior. With ourselves as your servants, okay? So this is me saying, I am your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So now here this really pertains to all of us. But we have this treasure. See, you have this treasure. You're here today as a member of church, a professing member. And, I, and I'm saying, when I, I just made that 2080 statement. I wasn't talking about this body. I just want you all to understand that. I have a higher opinion of us. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe that's, maybe that's pride. <laughs> but I believe you have this treasure, that you have Jesus right inside of yourself, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's our bodies, right? Our bodies are made from the dirt. Right? That's why we can't lift our bodies up too much. <clears throat> In jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. At the Chiefs game, I was afflicted, but I was not crushed. Why? Because the biblical model is not that God will jump us over every hurdle, but in the midst of that hurdle, He's right in the midst of it with me. I may not see Him or feel Him in every moment, but He's right there with me. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death, 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 the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This only happens if we die to ourselves. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, 
I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of who? To the glory of the church, to the glory of the pastor, to the glory of the leadership, to the glory of the congregation, to the glory of the United States. No, it's to the glory of God. All of that junk that you went through that, that dented you up and scarred you and, and made holes and wounds and all of those things was so that when you came to God and, and the Holy Spirit was inside you, that light could shine out of those cracks. I didn't come to Jesus to pretend to be perfect. He's perfect. And He lives inside of me. His death is working inside of me so that I can have life. Whose life? Not my life, His life. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Who feels that? Come on, who gets up in the morning, says, man, this outer self is wasting away and I wish it would either regenerate or waste away faster. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I depend on these more all the time. <laughs> so okay, sorry. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's the opposite of a whitewashed tomb, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. Instead of the outside being washed and cleaned up, my outside is getting worse and my inside is getting better. That means who I'm supposed to be is getting better. <clears throat> For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When does eternity start? When did your eternal life start? Did it start when you die or did it start when you were born? Starts when you're born, right? <laughs> born again, yeah. Yeah, but when you're born, you're an eternal creation, right? You're just you're headed one direction or the other. And then when you're born again, he's really starting to prepare you for this eternal glory that's going to be in our lives. Let's see. I've lost my whole spot. I think my page turned. Where was I? I get too wound up. Oh yeah, see my page turned. Almost started reading in the wrong place. <clears throat> the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look, listen to me, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. My body that's wasting away, it's transient. 
I mean, the Bible talks about this body coming back up and being knit back together, but man, it can't be like it is right now or I'm going to be walking around in heaven like, oh, I stood up too long around the throne there. I couldn't kneel down all day because my back just hurts. My knees hurt too much from, well, flooring work and nonsense, but let's not go there. Somebody that set me free big time is when I was really struggling with anxiety. I've told you all this before. I'm going to say it again. I was in a really dark place with anxiety for several months where I couldn't see out and I thought I was dying and all of these negative thoughts and emotions. And when I would talk to people about anxiety, I kept saying, my anxiety. And this lady finally looked at me and said, why do you word it like that? Like you own it. You are claiming possession of it. Stop that. And this may sound goofy. And as I just told you, I'm not completely over it. But from that day till now, I've gotten progressively better because I don't call it mine anymore because it's not mine. It's just this light, momentary affliction. It's transient. I want to encourage you today that you're a jar of clay and you don't see the value in that, but God does. That you don't think it's something that God can use, but He can. But there's a couple things that have to happen. One of those things is you have to humble yourselves. You have to let go of some of your pride and your arrogance. I'm going to tell you that if you want to be used by God, you need to stop looking for people for approval, for affirmation. You have to bow your knee to Jesus as Lord. And then the church needs to shift. shift. I almost said something bad there. <laughs> I may actually have said it. We have to shift our mindset. <laughs> Sorry, I get off track sometimes. We have to shift our mindset from like we're building a church, we're building a ministry to a kingdom mindset. We have to stop focusing on things that are temporary like a prosperity gospel. We have to understand that God is our reward and He is worthy of all of it. It can't just be a song that we sing. It can't just be a mantra that we preach. It has to be a mindset that the church wears and owns and says, Man, this is the way I'm going to live my life. Is that I'm not seeking glory here on earth. I'm not seeking my reward here. I'm seeking God, not just in the sweet by and by, not just then. Men talked about it Friday night, seeking the Lord. And when people are finding victory, it's not in a church service. It's when I'm seeking God because that is my reward. I want to see the glory of God in my life, not because I just relish that, because when I have seen those victories, those victories are won in my life, and then they pour out of my life, and I see those victories carry on to other people. It's that death to life mentality. Now I have gained this. I have gained a fruit. That fruit has fallen off. A seed has been planted, and it begins to prosper somewhere else. And it's not because of anything that I did. Because God created me to be the tree that he created me to be. I had no, I, I mean, you think about this. I, this just popped into my brain. If I'm a peach tree and I grew one peach, how many seeds are in that? 
one. What if I'm an apple tree? There's a whole bunch more seeds than that. But is one more important than another? So, I'm going to open up the altars. We're going to play. We're going to do one more worship song. I'm opening up the altars. You guys know that um, this is always open for healing. If you have some prayer request for healing, um, we're always open for that. We're also always open for if if you don't know Jesus as Jesus as I'm, I'm struggling with words today. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, we're always here for that. We're always down for that. Um, if you need some encouragement of lifting up, if you are in the midst of a, a valley. But really today I'd like to focus on pride. If you look at your life and you know, and you know when I say the word pride, where you're battling it, where it's holding you down, I'm asking today for you to take that mask off because Remember what I said at the beginning that you're either going to kneel or bow. And if you don't choose to deal with pride now, God's going to let that pus pocket fester until he pops it. And when he does, it's going to look way nastier. It's going to be way more public. It's going to be way more humiliating. And maybe not even publicly, but at least internally. So... If you know you have pride in your life, or you know what? On the other side, if you have so much of a struggle with self-worth. Father God, right now I just lift you up your people. I lift up right now, God, that your spirit is moving on your people, that, that your words are still speaking, that your spirit is stirring inside of people, God. I ask right now that you take this message and you continue to stir that pool up, that there's healing when that water is stirred, God. I ask right now that our pride would fall off and if that we need prayer, if we need whatever it is, that you would give us the boldness right now to step out and come forward or to grab a brother or a sister and press into that. God, I think that the church, the world is in a place right now where we need to see the church of Jesus standing up. God, I ask right now that the, the shame and the condemnation would fall off of your people and that a boldness would rise up that you would help us be the people that we are created to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen.